2 Timothy 3, 1 to 17. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its path, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for any, every good work. This is God's word. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller. If uh, we haven't met, uh, do come and say hi uh, afterwards. Uh, but for the month of June, uh, one or two, with this, we're doing something different. Um, so um, we're having sunshine outside and um, uh, inside, rather than working topically, no, excuse me, rather than working progressively through a book of the Bible, which is a sort of normal habit or, or, or practice. It's the best way to know that God is setting the agenda rather than us. But we are thinking topically just for this month about what it means to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly matters of uh, identity and uh, sexuality. So we'll be taking a different passage every week, pulling out one or two of the, the, the dominant truths in the passage and thinking about them topically just for June, so you know. Let me pray uh, and then we'll look at this together. Our great God and Father, here, here's a feast of truth uh, that the scriptures are God-breathed and they are what we need for salvation and to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we can dwell happily upon that truth uh, for the month of June in and of itself. But Father, as we think to and seek to uh, apply this truth to our culture at the moment, uh, would you help us 
collectively help me as our leaders this evening, but then for us as a church to think through uh, these issues so that we are mature, wise, gracious disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Now, look, I'll probably get told off for this, uh, but look, as a Christian minister, and I cannot commend to you uh, the film The Life of Brian, it's, it's, uh, I can't do that, um, because if you know the plot, in one sense it's a parody, it is a parody of the life of Jesus, but, but the, I don't, I mean, Christians have different views. For myself, I think it's more parodying sort of religion and movements and mass movements, um, but uh, forgive me, uh, but the reason I say this, there's one scene. Uh, sort of halfway-ish uh, through the film and uh, Brian's in his house and a whole crowd has gathered outside the house and they think they're very excited about who he is and there's a little bit of dialogue goes like this Brian he says please please listen I've got one or two things to say the crowd tell us tell us both of them Brian, no, look, you've got it all wrong. You don't need to follow anybody. You've got to think for yourselves. You're all individuals. Crowd, yes, we are all individuals. No, 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 you're all different. Crowd, yes, we're all different. And one bloke in the crowd says, I'm not. And the rest say, shh, you're just the same as us. And it's sort of mocking the sort of, what, one recent book called The Madness of Crowds. Just an idea takes hold and everyone just goes along with it. Um, and particularly, I mean, it's obvious parody, this is, you're all individuals. We're all individuals. And they're just saying, no, 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 think for yourselves. We all think for ourselves. Um, well, that was goodness knows how many, 30 odd, more than that, 40 years ago, someone told me afterwards. But we live in a culture that insists that everyone has the right to be whatever they want and live however they want. But woe betide you if you disagree with that. Everyone is an individual, free to think what they want. But if you disagree with that, we will troll you. We will distribute vitriol against you. So there's a slightly perverse element to it. But you know this, you don't need me to tell you. Uh, I, I was a bit surprised, despite the fact that this is a wallpaper of uh, the 21st century West, I was a little bit surprised by uh, the, the, the new serial that Kellogg's launched uh, last, it was about, only about last month it came out. Did you see this? Uh, Together with Pride is the Kellogg's new serial. Uh, looks healthy, uh, looks sort of like Cheerios with extra e-numbers uh, is what it looks like. But anyway, together with Pride and the, the marketing cereal, boxes are for cereal, not people. No matter who you are, who you love, or what pronouns you use, you're too awesome to fit into a box. Although the marketing slightly falls down because the cereal does come in a box. Um, so it slightly breaks down at that point. But anyway, you know what they're saying. And you think, wow, even my breakfast cereal, I haven't actually bought it yet, uh, is screaming at me, you know, you be whatever you want. You decide whatever pronouns, whatever, whatever. You just decide who you are and uh, go for it, run with it. So we live in a culture which says you must be true to yourself. Look inside and love what you find. And you get to define who you are. No one else does. At which point the scriptures would say, that is not the route to happiness or wisdom or salvation. 
And 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul would say, look, don't follow the crowd. Stand firm on the Scriptures. Don't follow the crowd in its pursuit of a sort of self-actualization within. Don't follow that. Stand firm on the Scriptures. As I say, we're going to spend a month then thinking about uh, issues of uh, human sexuality, identity, gender, and some will instinctively, immediately say, oh, do we have to? Oh, look, I look, it's, and we know what the Bible says, and it's good that the Bible says these things, but you just have to go on and on about it from the front. Yes, and uh, here is why. Let me give you three reasons uh, why we would do that for a month, uh, unusually uh, a topic. One, society is. Society is talking endlessly about these issues. So I don't know if you pick up uh, at the moment. Laws are being discussed to outlaw, make illegal, conversion therapy now. That's a very broad term. On one end of it, it is abhorrent to sort of give people electric shocks to change their behavior. I mean, that is just repellent, abhorrent, disgusting, terrible. But the law at the moment, the way it's being framed, some would want it to include prayer. So I, like a number here, would have people come to them regularly and say, look, you, you know me and you know that I'm same-sex attracted, but I don't choose to uh, act uh, on those uh, desires that I have. Uh, I, I want to uh, live a life faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore uh, I don't engage in same-sex activity. Um, but at the moment, I'm really struggling. Um, could you pray for me? And of course, I would say yes. But if the bill went through in the form that it's being designed, that would become a crime. Yeah. So society is talking about these issues. Uh, secondly, our denomination is, you may care less about this one, but the Church of England is undertaking what it calls at the moment the Living in Love and Faith Project. Uh, and what is that? Well, let me quote from that. What does it mean for us as individuals and a church to be Christ-like when it comes to matters of identity, sexuality, relationships and marriage? Essentially it's a big book and a course which is online. They want everyone to do it and the agenda is shall we change the Church of England's view which marriage is for one man and one woman? Should we change that? Because some of us want to. Not all, the church is pretty split on it actually, but lots of us would like to change it. Should we do that? is the agenda there. So society is speaking about it, our denomination is. Thirdly, some especially want it or want us to teach on this. Let me quote um, one man, Ed Shaw. Some would know, some would have met Ed, a lovely bloke. Uh, he's a minister in Bristol. I don't know why I point that way, uh, that way. Um, uh, uh, a church in Bristol and uh, he's very open, he's same-sex attracted, but lives as a celibate bloke. Uh, he's written several excellent books. Uh, let me quote one of them, The Plausibility Problem. He says this, a church which is either silent or vague about this, what the Bible teaches on sex, is a hard place to battle the temptation. So he says, as a same-sex attracted man, please will you teach on this publicly? Because if you don't, it's really hard to follow Jesus. And you can get that. What if you're, if you, well, I don't know what your besetting sin is, it'll vary, however many you are in the room, um, but it'll vary. But if it was anger, 
And all of a sudden from the front, a passage comes up in the scriptures which talks about anger. And I or someone said, well, so here, what it says about anger. Well, some people say anger's bad. Other people say it's good. And it's really healthy to express your anger. And, um, well, you must decide what you think about anger. I wouldn't presume to tell you what's right or what's wrong. You look within and you decide what is true for you about anger. And at that point, you might think, well... I can't be bothered to fight my sin. Some people think it's good, some people think it's bad, but I think it's quite nice just to let rip at my housemates. Um, and I feel better when I've had a good old shout. Um, it's a bit harder if from the front, rather than anger, here's a sin, we struggle with it. Brothers, sisters, let's fight it in the grace that Jesus gives because it's just bad for us, it destroys others. You know, that's what we need to hear with anger. And Ed Shaw is just saying, listen, we don't ever teach on these things. You're being really unkind to people like me. And so if you ask the question, why do we have to have a month on issues of identity and sexuality? Once is my simplest answer is, because failure to do so is fundamentally unkind to many of us, wherever we stand in sexual issues, who need to hear it. So look, I know, look, I will say something's badly, I'll say things, I'll, 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 I'll get something slightly wrong in tone, etc. over the next month, and I'm sorry for that in advance. And some of you will think, oh, you know, complain, complain, but you just bear in mind also, others will be saying, you know, even just after the four, whatever, 30 service, so, so I just need to hear that, I just need to hear that. And that's why we're doing it. Tonight, though, uh, we're looking at 1 Timothy 3, which, uh, as, Fred would have, as Fred read it, you may or may not have observed, has absolutely nothing to say about sexuality um, or identity. But the issue here is, where do you find authority? So in one sense, the most significant question on sexual ethics is this. Do you allow your experience to interpret the Bible or the Bible to interpret your experience? Do you uh, come with life and the stories of the other people tell you and, and your friends' experiences and say, well, I, I've got all this and I come to the scriptures and I interpret the scriptures with my life, or rather, do you read the scriptures and say, they will interpret my life, my experiences? Which dominates? Which has authority? Now, to be clear, that is not to say our experiences, the stories we hear from others, what our friends ex go through, that they don't matter. They do. Our lives, our experiences, they all really matter, but we interpret them through the Scriptures. We allow God to tell us what's going on, rather than the other way around. So 1 Timothy 3 is a timeless warning. Don't follow the crowd particularly in its self-love, stand firm on the scriptures. Okay, that's what we look at tonight. Don't follow the crowd, stand firm on the scriptures. Let's get to it. Uh, chapter 3, uh, Paul writes this. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Terrible is quite a strong translation. Uh, difficult, uh, hard to bear, awkward, uh, hard times in the last days. That is the New Testament language, the time between the resurrection of Jesus and uh, his return. There will be difficult times or seasons uh, in the last days. So Paul is he's not saying that Christians uniformly 
will always at every place in the world have a bad time. He is saying that in the scheme, in, in the span of history, there'll be points when it's particularly hard. That is obvious, isn't it? At some points in the world today, at some places in the world today, it's much harder to be a Christian. At some points in the last 2,000 years, it's been much more difficult to be a Christian than it is today. You, Edward I dies, Mary becomes queen. It's not a great time to be a Bible-believing Christian. Okay, that's worse than it is now. But Paul says there'll be difficult times. How, how do you know if we're in these terrible times or one of those difficult seasons? Well, it'll look a bit like this. And we get it in verses two to nine. So just two points. We'll work through the passage like this. People will love themselves and lose the truth, verses two to nine. And then secondly, but as for you, stand firm on the scriptures, which is the 10 to 17. Okay, so the two halves of the passage. People will love themselves and lose the truth, two to nine. But as for you, stand firm on the scriptures, 10 to 17. First, uh, this section, verses two to nine, people will love themselves and lose the truth, verse two. Here are the marks of the terrible times, the difficult times, verse two. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. It's not a great list, is it? Uh, it's bookended, and I think the, the main points, people will be, verse 2, lovers of themselves, end of verse 4, not lovers of God. I think those two bookended. Various other loves, they love pleasure, they love money, they, they love the wrong things. But fundamentally love themselves, and they don't love God. Those are the bookends. And so at the root of it is a self-love. I wonder if there have been many cultures where that is so obvious as ours, where we are positively encouraged, the message, the wallpaper of our lives from Kellogg cereals throughout the day is, love yourself. Put yourself first. You look within and you define who you are rather than have anyone else, such as your creator, tell you who he's made you to be. You decide who you are. So uh, let me give you an example. The, uh, this popped up in my BBC News feed two weeks ago, something like that, two weeks ago. So Demi Lovato, who I'd be vaguely aware of, uh, child Disney star. So, I mean, I, uh, just to be clear on this, I, uh, someone like her, I, I, for my own, I mean, she might find it patronising, but someone who's been on TV since the age of 10, uh, be cute, uh, you've got a bit older, be cool, you've got a bit older, be girl next door, be girlfriend material, who's got a bit older, be a bit, can you be sexy now to sell more records? Can you be raunchy now to sell more records? I don't know how when you've been on TV and been told what you're meant to be from the age of 10, how on earth you know who you are. I mean, I just think it's like the Britney Spears, if you saw that documentary, oh my goodness, um, how on earth do you have any sense of who you are? But anyway, here's Demi Lovato. Uh, two weeks ago, three, last month anyway, she publicly came out identifying as gender non-binary. And uh, in the uh, message she put out, she said, please keep living in your truths and know I'm sending so much love your way. 
Keep living in your truths. Plural. So you have a truth, and 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 you have a truth. And everyone individually has a truth. And you must live your truth and not allow anyone else to tell you what the truth is. The problem is, what on earth does that mean? How, how do you know for certain who your tr what your truth is? I mean, mid-twenties or late-twenties, now I'm gender non-binary. How long will that last? It'll be awkward. Because in such a fluid identity, how do you know? So, by contrast, the very brave Kira Bell, who sort of dominated the press just before Christmas and into January. Kira Bell, um, uh, you may remember, born female, transitioned to male, and deeply regretted it. And so, uh, in the autumn, went to court to force the Tavistock Clinic, uh, the Gender Identity Diagnostics Centre, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, the Tavistock Centre in North London, where uh, uh, you go to transition from male to female or female to male. She took them to court, along with other members of staff of the Tavistock, including their safeguarding officer, who thought there was just no due diligence taking place there, saying, no one said to me, stop. No one said to me, are you sure? At age 15, I started the process and transitioned from a woman to a man. And now, in my 20s, I say that was a disaster. It was just a disaster. And so if you remember the case, um, the Tavistock have now been forced to, uh, uh, to stop providing puberty-suppressing drugs to children too young because they just can't give informed consent. And all of a sudden, all this, actually, all these, it turns out, it's all been funded by pharmaceutical companies to push drugs, so that, you know, chaos. If you read the story, and uh, I've just, I read again this week the my sort of clippings I've kept from The Guardian, uh, it put this, if you read Kira Bell's story, she says at various points, I had my doubts, but I gained courage from the internet. At numerous points, she thought, what am I doing? Is this the right thing? Is, is, I mean, I, I mean, tragic life, parents divorced when she was five, alcoholic mother, absent father. I mean, tragic life. Uh, and she, is this, is this the right thing? I mean, it's quite a big thing, what I'm about to do. But let me go online. Oh, okay, online, there are lots of voices saying, yes, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. The celebrities are telling me this is the right thing to do. So I'll follow the crowd and look within and determine this is what I want to do. And of course now she's saying, no one stopped me. My parents didn't stop me. The medics didn't stop me. No one said, is this the right thing? The cultural voices saying, no, just look within and you love yourself. Be true to yourself. They've, in her words, ruined her life. So those are strong examples. But here Paul says, look, here's what happens when people are lovers of themselves, verse 2. Here are the other things that go with it. They're lovers of money. Yes, then look at their attitude. They're boastful, proud, abusive. That's right. Those with an exaggerated view of themselves. I'm the most important person here. I look within. I must love myself and whatever anyone else thinks. Who cares? They look down upon others with contempt. 
disobedient to parents. I mean, it seems a bit odd to be in this list. You know, people are rude and arrogant, and, and some won't even tidy up their bedrooms when they're asked to do so. Seems a slightly odd in the list, but I think in, in the flow of it, there's a sort of generational aspect to it. Now, look, uh, that's, it's time that contempt of the generation above you is timelessly true. I mean, every teenager thinks their parents are so boring uh, and, you know, beyond the pale. And most 20-somethings at some point think the 50-somethings are unbelievably square and have lost the plot. Um, but I wonder, I just wonder, uh, I, I, I guess in, the, in 2021, that criticism comes with a little more heat. So the opinions of the generation above, they no longer make your eyes roll or just a bit out of date. They're now wicked. It feels a bit different. And of course, what happens if you challenge this cultural mood of being true to yourself? Well, I think Paul says it here. Look, this is a culture which becomes, verse 3, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. And you see plenty of that publicly. You say the wrong thing, you're going to get denounced. I mean, perhaps most notoriously, J.K. Rowling. Do you know what I look within? And I think a woman's a woman. I think I don't have to say people with wombs. I can say the word woman. I think that's okay. How dare you? She should be, you know, burn her books, say some. <gasps> she was my idol and now I hate her. I mean, the only reason she's immune from being cancelled is she just makes too much money for her publisher, probably. But all of a sudden, Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson say, yeah, look, we, we, you know, she's made us a stars. She's made us stars, but we're a bit embarrassed about crazy old auntie Joanne. Um, that sort of cultural gap, yes, it's there. Verse 4, people are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's our world, isn't it? We're told if an act is enjoyable and no one is harmed, then that's its highest justification. It makes me happy, so... That's it. I often think in this context, a friend, uh, a contemporary of mine, who, who, who told me in, with much bewilderment, he left his wife and her teenage children, moved in with another woman, set up home with another woman. And uh, when he told his children this was happening over dinner, he said, okay, I'm leaving your mom and I'm going to go and move in with her. And um, I deserve this. This makes me happy, and I deserve to be happy. And uh, his daughter said, yeah, but what about me? What about us? Do we deserve to be unhappy? And he told me this with just bewilderment. It's like, but my happiness, that trumps everything, doesn't it? Well, if you subscribe to this, if pleasure is what you love, if self is what you love more than any other responsibility, more than God. Well, of course you think that. Of course you do. Lovers of self and lovers of pleasure, that'll always trump love for God. So here are people who love themselves and have lost the truth. Last comments, though. Who is he talking about? Verse 2, people. People in general. Sort of people in the world are a bit like this, says Paul in these terrible season. But by verse 5, these people have a form of godliness but deny its power. He seems to be talking about church or, or church leaders by verse 5. And so it seems that Paul envis envisages a situation where the values of the world have entered into church and you just can't tell them apart. Seems to be the point.
he describes this sort of church, verse 7, as always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I'll talk more sensibly about this next week, but I'm afraid that is the Church of England at the moment, in part, divided on what it thinks. But living in love and faith, it's we need to learn more. I mean, stuff what God has said for 2,000 years, what is he saying today? I mean, we need to learn new things. We need to take in social science and, uh, and the people's experiences and, and, and allow them to tell us, rather than the scriptures, what God is saying. We just need to keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. And we'll, they never arrive at truth. And Paul will say, no, look, there will be seasons in history when it is particularly marked by people loving themselves and losing the truth. And I wonder if that's the season we're in. People will love themselves and lose the truth, but, 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 let's pick up the pace, but, but as for you, stand firm on the scriptures, verses 10 to 17. Four times in the letter you get the phrase, but you, but as for you. So here, verse 10, you, however, verse 14, but as for you, two of them uh, are here uh, of the four in the letter, but don't be like that, Timothy. Verse 10, so let me remind you, you however, but you, you know about all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, the Lord rescued me from all of them. You know what my life was like. Verse 12, here's an awkward truth. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm afraid, he says, Universal popularity is impossible for the Christian. Particularly verse 13, while evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, but as for you, verse 14, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. Keeps going because one, you, you know from those you've learned it on the assumption that their lives are consistent with the Bible. And verse 15, here's where he dwells. You know, have known from infancy the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. In two senses, the first, in origin, it comes from God. It's his word. It's not like human words, fallible. It's not inspired human words and there's a bit of God in there somewhere. It is his word, timeless, timelessly perfectly true. It does not need updating. So it's very unlike human words. Uh, look, I, I read two newspapers every day. One of them is The Guardian. And uh, for those of you who read The Guardian, 200 years, it's been celebrating 200 years of journalism. So much sort of uh, patting on the back. Uh, aren't we brilliant for 200 years? And uh, it published four weeks ago, three weeks ago, this really lovely article saying, and in the last 200 years, here are the things we got really badly wrong. So uh, here's where our opinion was just way out of whack. So I thought good on them. So let me, uh, here are just a few of them. Here are some classics that they got uh, terrible errors of judgment. So first, in the American Civil War, the, uh, the Guardian supported the slave-owning South and called Abraham Lincoln, quote, a dangerous fraud. Oops. 
1857, it cheered on suppression of the Indian mutiny, citing British inherent racial superiority. Oops. Uh, in 1945, it was against the introduction of the NHS. Oops. This is the Guardian. I mean, amazing, isn't it, all these things? Uh, uh, but my favourite, in 1914, after uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was, was killed, it said, this will have no impact upon European politics. <laughs> Oops. That'll be a world war then. Um, but I thought, good on you for just publishing. Here are the things where we got it really, really wrong. Uh, but the thing is, of course, when you've made those sort of massive errors of judgment, you'd have thought it inculcates a certain humility about the judgments you make today. But of course, next to it, on the opinion pieces, are you know, passionately held opinions denouncing anyone to the rights of the opinion writer as Satan incarnate. Uh, and you think, well, hold on a minute, here's a piece saying, yeah, you've got to be humble because sometimes you get things wrong. And over here are opinions which are just, you know, unshakably held. And you think, wow. Wow. Because all human words will have a mixture of truth and error. We'll get some things right and some things wrong. And we'll have some judgments which are good and some which are bad. But it is the height of bewildering arrogance to think that we know better than God. I mean, that is the height of bewildering arrogance. And yet every generation does it at points. So these words are God-breathed in their origin therefore perfectly timelessly true. And also they God breathed in their function. This is the breath of God upon you. That means it is the intimate presence of the Lord with you. The word of God is life-giving breath. Like Genesis 2, where Adam is formed and the Lord God breathes into his nostrils to bring him to life. Or John 20, where Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, is in front of his disciples and breathes on them the spirit to give them spiritual life. That's what's happening with the word of God is proclaimed. These scriptures are God-breathed. They're the word of God, his breath upon you to transform you, to give you life. That's what's taking place. And so we need, verse 16, to be taught. It's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We need that. A few years ago, uh, five years ago, I lose track. A few years ago, I, I, I had swimming lessons. I could swim. You know, if I fell off a boat, I could swim and get to shore. I wasn't a complete duffer. But um, in my mid-40s, I just got a bit fed up with being overtaken by people in their 80s. I just thought, this isn't right. Um, I just, this is ridiculous. I, I'm doing something wrong. And I was doing a lot of things wrong. So I, I had a few swimming lessons. And the coach stood on the side of the pool. And he taught me and rebuked me and corrected me. You're doing that stupid thing again where you slap your arms. Uh, and trained me, and I got better. I was better. Of course, a year of lockdown and not swimming for 18 months, you become a useless uh, uh, sort of bobber. Uh, once again, I need more correcting and training and teaching again. But who wants this? It's swimming. Who cares? As long as you don't drown. Um, the Word of God changes your character to become more like Christ. That, that's what the breath of God does to you. So don't follow the crowd. Stand firm on the scriptures. The, 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 the crowd says at the moment, love yourself. 
and everyone must love themselves. And don't you dare challenge that orthodoxy. That's the crowd. Yes, we must all love ourselves. Yes, we are all individuals. Yes, we all have our own truths. And we need a Brian to say, what are you doing? No, we, we don't need that. We need the scriptures. We need to come back to the much greater story. We need to remind ourselves that we have the word of God. We need to listen to the story of what God is doing with this world. Listen to the story of what he had planned for you before the creation of the world. Listen to the fact that before this world was even built, designed, he had a plan for you to make you in his image and to transform you in this lifetime more into the image of Jesus Christ. He's given you all you need, and it's timelessly true. So don't follow the crowd. Stand firm on the scriptures, and let the Lord Jesus Christ change you. Become the person you really were meant to be, more like him. Let me pray. Great God and Father, we're, we're scratching the issue here of um, uh, deeply personal and intimate issues. Uh, for some of us in particular, they run very, very deeply. And uh, some of us know the battle rages within. Uh, for some of us, we're under huge pressure in our workplaces to conform. Father, would we be those who graciously, kindly, winsomely resolve not to follow the crowd, but to stand firm upon the scriptures, trusting that you are the one who loves us, knows what is best for us, has a plan for us, has spoken timelessly about what is right for us. Would we trust you in that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.